0: Live from atop
1: the Rocky Mountains, the crossroads of the West. West. You are listening to the Liberty Roundtable Radio Talk radio Show. Talk show.
2: All right, happy to have you along, my fellow Americans. Sam Bushman live on your radio. Hard-hitting news that networks refuse to use. No doubt starts now. This is the broadcast for March 14th of the year of our Lord 2020. This is our one of two, and our goal always to protect. Life, liberty, and property, and to promote God, family, and country on your radio in the traditions of our founding fathers. Yes, indeed, ladies and gentlemen, we use the blueprint for liberty, the supreme law of the land, the Constitution for the United States of America as our guide, and absolutely we're convinced. The checks and balances brilliantly put in place by our founding fathers. One of the great restorative, peaceful solutions we have at our fingertips. We reject revolution. We stand for peaceful restoration of the greatest country on the face of the earth. Welcome to Liberty Roundtable Live. And man, have we got a two-hour broadcast bonanza for you today. We've been covering the coronavirus. I don't want to say wall-to-wall, but pretty much because of the fast-paced news cycle going on. We'll get into that as the broadcast unfolds. We have two incredible guests, one each hour. But a quick recap of yesterday's show might suffice to set the stage, if you will. The shows are available live and on demand at libertyroundtable.com. Spread the word, libertyroundtable.com. We're syndicated by our network, lovingliberty.net. Spread the word about that as well. Incredible talk show hosts around the clock. We are live more than most talk shows. We're live six days a week, Monday through Saturday, two hours a day. On the Sabbath, we rest. But LovingLiberty.net is where you can find shows, including ours, around the clock. Now, the recap highlights several interesting points as this fast-paced news cycle continues right on in through the weekend. District of Criminals, I mean Washington, D.C., health officials recommending canceling all mass gatherings. Then states started to declare states of emergency. Now President Trump has declared a, quote, national Emergency. What does that mean? We'll get into that, too. More than 100 colleges counsel in-person classes. They're moving all online, says USA Today. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, a 15 million-member worldwide church, says gatherings of church members suspended worldwide. Some of the biggest Catholic organizations in the country and the world are suspending mass. Dr. Brian Monaden, he's an attending physician of Congress. He told a closed meeting of senators and Senate staffers that 70 to 150 million people in America—that's a third of the nation—could very well contract the coronavirus. Dr. Anthony Fossey testified that the mortality rate or the mortality rate for COVID-19. It's probably near 1%. That's probably 10 times what they say the flu to be. Translation, between 750,000 and 1.1 million people may die of this disease. If Fosse's mortality rate of 1% is on target, between 3 and 5 billion people on the planet might be infected with the coronavirus. And what does that translate to? 30 to 50 million May die. Are those numbers really accurate? Is that a reality check? Iran digs trenches, totaling a length of a football field to bury their coronavirus dead. China threatens the United States with mighty sea of coronavirus. Because they're talking about imposing a, quote, pharmaceutical supply export controls, which means we won't export pharmaceutical stuff to you folks. Donald Trump fires back and says, Buy American. Trump to sign executive order ending reliance on Chinese medical supplies. Emergency open letter sent from oath keepers to all the state's governors on fighting coronavirus. And here's what they say. You've got to take this absolutely seriously. Coronavirus is airborne. You're not being told the truth on this. Now the battle goes back and forth. China blames the United States. China doubles down on blaming America for the coronavirus and says it might be the US Army who brought the epidemic to Wuhan. Uh and the United States saying, well no, it's a Chinese disease. Well, there's this guy by the name of Zhao Linjian or Linjian. He's a spokesman for the Chinese foreign ministry and he basically doubles down and says it was extremely irresponsible for the media and for other governments to say the virus originated in china very irresponsible his government is still tracing the origins of the virus and he says we have not come to a conclusion yet well i don't know what you folks think but i don't know where it came from either now, there's a lot of stuff pointing to a lot of different places. Some points to the United States, some points to Canada, some points to China. The real double-down question, is this uh, man-made in a lab, or is this nature-created discussion? We're going to get into it all with our guest. Our guest is named Tom Kaczynski. He lives in Maine. Uh, he was the town manager there for a while in his town, and uh, now he's doing what's called Crona. Uh, Virus Central, which is a podcast that covers the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic with open source intelligence to promote folks, public health, information, and safety. Coronavirus Central.net is his website. He also wrote a book. We'll get into that. Tom, welcome to Liberty Roundtable Live, sir.
3: Thanks for having me on, Sam. I appreciate it.
2: All right. So those were some of the headlines that we've been seeing over the last day or so. The interesting ones overnight is Congress passed a big, massive spending bill to spend more money and to change the game. Uh, President Trump declares a national emergency. But he also did something else quite interesting. He declared Sunday, that's tomorrow, a national day of prayer. I find this quite interesting. Uh, He declared a national emergency and then declared Sunday as a national day of prayer. He stated, quote, we are a country that throughout history has looked to God for protection and strength in times like these. President Trump called on all Americans to lift their voices in unison in calling on God's divine intervention. He reminded all of us, no matter where you may be, I encourage you to turn towards prayer in an act of faith. Together, we will easily prevail, and I think a bunch of us are joining the president in calling on all Americans to join together this Sunday in prayer that God will protect our nation, its citizens, and uh, everyone in this national crisis. Uh, first, what do you think of that, Tom?
3: Well, I tell you, it's you know I've taken a lot of comfort in Psalm 91 as a Christian, and I accept that the Lord Jesus Christ is my personal Savior, is the reason I don't do my show on Sunday either, and it's not just because I want to rest, but I honor the Sabbath. I think that this is an entirely appropriate time to seek the aid of uh, the Lord and Heavenly Father in protecting us. And we are dealing with a terrible crisis, uh, the extent to which I think a lot of people— don't even begin to understand just how terrifying this is. And it's going to take a lot of help um, from above and a lot of hard work from all of us to have any chance to survive this. Because like the estimates you were talking about at the very beginning, I actually have been uh, predicting for some time that those estimates are actually incredibly low with respect to the level of danger we are in from this coronavirus outbreak.
2: All right, so let's get into it. I commend President Trump for calling on Sunday to be a national day of prayer. He's doing all that we can do ourselves and then turning to God, do our best, let God take care of the rest. I don't know how many presidents in modern history would have had the guts to call it a national day of prayer either.
3: Yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's actually a really good signal to make. And uh, people might be upset about that. I understand that. but
2: And I say tough mean, crap. You know what? We can turn to God. If you don't want to, <laughs> don't. That's fine.
3: Well, you know, it's it's like Exodus. Uh, What was it? Some people had the the blood on their doors, and they were saved from the plagues in Egypt. And in a lot of ways, we look to the good book for instructions about what to do in these times.
2: Would you look to the staff? I would. So would I, and that's what I'm saying. If you don't want to look to the staff, don't, but I'm going to. I'm telling you that right now.
3: Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that. And
2: and I don't mean to be offensive. I'm just saying, look, just as they have the right not to, we have the right to. We don't need to apologize for it.
3: It's people will deal with this in the different ways that they do, but those of us in the faith obviously, you know, will call upon that protection and in the understanding that whatever happens in this life. This is just one part of existence, and that the larger life is what matters. Um, And a lot of us are going to deal with something, I think, in the coming weeks, that death is going to be a reality that will touch us all, and having that comfort and that awareness, both in terms of, you know, maybe a preventative, but also the understanding that, you know, the Lord's will being done isn't always what we want, but rather our ability to try to understand terrible things that we will deal with that, you know, some would argue may have even been foretold.
2: Amen to that. All right, coronaviruscentral.net is Tom's website for his incredible podcast. We're talking about uh, promoting the public health, or information safety, accurate information. What made you decide to do a podcast like this? You're not a medical professional, are you?
3: No, I am not. I'm the farthest from it, actually. I uh, I started doing this in late January when they first put the quarantine on Wuhan because I thought it was very strange that China would go – and quarantine a city with uh, well over 10 million people, given that they generally are not known as being perhaps as concerned about human life as they we are in the West. And I thought if they were doing something like that, it probably meant something big was happening. And as I studied and researched the uh, progression and spread of what happened over there, I realized this had the potential to be a very major event. That prompted me to write a book, Surviving Coronavirus on Any Budget. And I realized very early that this was going to be a major issue, which it has since become.
2: All right, Tom Kaczynski, our guest, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to talk more about his book. I want to dig into a lot of hard hitting questions. We'll do it all in seconds. You are listening to the one and only Liberty Roundtable Live.
4: magazine.com. Just click on the shopping cart. The loving Liberty radio network salutes the spirit of the American West and those who are keeping it alive at range magazine.
2: All right. Tom Kaczynski with me, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be talking more about his incredible book, surviving coronavirus on any budget available on Amazon Also available on coronaviruscentral.com. So, Tom, let's quickly talk about um, what this thing is and where we think it originated from. This uh, COVID-19 or coronavirus, they almost want you to believe every one of these new viruses just comes out of the blue and it's completely uh, brand new and different. But really, it's a building block of uh, many of these other viruses that we've seen, the swine flu or, you know, some of these others. But uh, those other viruses haven't take flight, if you will, like this one has. But it's really um, a lot of those same building blocks that go into this, making me believe it cannot be a coincidence.
3: Yeah, it's a great question. It's a question I've been asking a lot. Now, in terms of the the science of it, we know that the uh, International Committee for the Taxonomy of Viruses said that the, the base of this is the SARS virus. And for those who aren't familiar with it, Sudden an acute respiratory syndrome was a coronavirus that first emerged out of China in around 2002, 2003. Uh, it had a pretty decent test toll, uh, you know, about, about 1,000 people, but it killed really quick. It ended up killing around, if I remember right, around like 10% of the people who got it, but it killed so quick that they actually contained it, and it was a lot less transmissible than this virus, which is technically the virus is SARS 2. But that the the, uh, the name that the World Health Organization, which I would argue was done for political reasons, uh, called it was COVID because they wanted to tamp down panic, as well as the fact that they're heavily funded by the Chinese Communist Party. Um, so they made it sound like it's something that's not as bad. But we understand that it, it stars in it and it's the base of it. And it has this really weird feature where – The means by which it gains access to the virus cell, uh, they call it, it looks like an HIV spike protein, and that may answer your question why we are seeing all these weird symptoms, which is that it appears that there's at least some evidence that this virus is immunosuppressive, which is to say that it goes ahead and takes down your white blood cells so that while you're having COVID, you could be having COVID, which causes these respiratory problems like the pneumonia that people should be aware of. In the severe cases where people can't breathe and need the ventilators, but also it makes you more susceptible to other viruses and bacteriological infections. So if a lot of people are getting sick, it's not just COVID that's the threat, but COVID's taking down the shields of your immune wall in a way where that puts you at risk from other viruses. And I think that might be the mechanism why we're seeing so many people have different symptoms that they may be sick with more than one thing at once.
2: And I also see that's why eventually if we have a death count, they might eventually have rules or guidelines or regulations or instructions and or flat out from ignorance. Um, You won't see the real death tolls even because they'll just say you died from something else. Right.
3: Well, that was something we've been concerned about for a long time. And in China, a lot of people who've been following this for a while believe the death toll is probably at least 10 times what's been reported. Um, And the number they've reported is 3,000, but many of us believe the toll was far greater than that. There was a story coming out. They brought 40 incinerators into town supposedly to get rid of organic waste. People were locked in their homes. They shut down the Internet. We really don't know how bad it was. And the World Health Organization came in there and basically put a rubber stamp on what China did None of us in the the world at large knew it, but they've sent in the military in there to cover things up, and now we're going to learn. But we've seen, as you reported, the the burial mounds in Iran, and we've seen a very high death rate in Italy. So uh, we really don't know how bad this will be. But we do know that the original studies that were looking at Wuhan, where the epicenter was, suggest that death toll spiked from an average of they were saying one to two percent up to as high as 18 percent in early studies. So I think that when you have a system where the medical uh, resources are overloaded, which in my estimation will happen in the U.S. if more than one in a thousand people get this virus you may see that death toll due to the inability to provide proper care increased by a factor of 10 or more.
2: All right, now let's get to the real heart of this. So this uh, idea that it comes from uh, an HIV idea or a, a spike, it it, ends, it starts through the upper respiratory system, primarily attacks elder people and smokers. And if you're an older person and a smoker, then the death rate goes through the stratosphere. Uh, and that's really what we have in China. China has some of the uh, most smokers in the world. The men smoke like you wouldn't believe. Uh, and it's hitting the elderly men that smoke big time, Tom.
3: Yeah, definitely. People who are going to be at risk are people who have impaired respiratory function. A lot of us are aware China and Wuhan in particular had really bad respiratory issues, uh, which I think caused the problem there. But here in the United States, we have a great number of people with diabetes. We have about 30% of the population with hypertension, 30% of the population with obesity who are going to have other problems. So for different reasons, we may have some of the same issues. Because what this comes down to is that the virus itself bonds to something called an ACE2 receptor. It's angiotensin-converting enzyme. Basically, it's a way that it gets into the cell. And these things we find in the respiratory system, in the kidneys, in the liver, in uh, in, in the heart. And so all of those places that you talk about a respiratory infection. The thing that has been killing the most people that's been reported is a respiratory infection of the lower lung system where the alveoli, the air sacs, basically get filled up with a thick fluid where people are basically drowning in their own mucus. It's sort of an oversimplification, but between that and impaired lung capacity, what they've had to do in Italy and other countries is put a great number of people on ventilators because they've lost the ability to breathe without mechanical assistance and get enough lungs to prevent death from the failure to respire.
2: Now, some of the media has been asking, uh, what's going to happen if we don't have enough ventilators? And literally, government officials in the United States are, are unwilling to answer those questions.
3: The United States has a capacity of approximately 160,000 ventilators, and that they have a strategic reserve of 8,900. There's a few more floating around in nursing homes. But if you assume, and this is the key number, if you assume that 10% of the patients are going to need ventilators, then you can figure out real quickly that 1.6 million people get infected or 10% are going to be in a spot, we are going to be in real trouble. What does that equal to? One in 200 Americans. Equally important, the United States has 100,000 ICU beds in this country. 70% of those are occupied at any given time. You can convert other things to get up to about 30%. You have this sort of hard and fast breakdown issue where once you get above 1 in two hundred, one in 250 people getting this, that the United – and by that, I mean getting severe versions of this. That would be about 1 in 1,000 people getting it because 20 percent of the people have this as a severe case. Eighty percent of the people will have it as a mild case where you still have pneumonia potentially or influenza, but that you may be very bad, and that will include people in all population brackets except uniquely children for reasons that we don't fully understand. But yeah, this is going to be a real big problem. And the problem also is the number of cases, according to the best modeling, is doubling every four days at that rate. With what we Hold on, America, Tom, Tom, Tom,
2: say that again.
3: Sure. The number of cases in the United States is likely doubling every four days. If we, our guess of those of us who've been looking at this is right, and we got probably 100,000 cases floating around out there. That means 20 days from now, we'll have a million cases. That's when the medical system starts to be overrun. And even though it'll be spaced out in different areas, you'll see a spike in death rate. It happened in China. It happened in Iran. It's happening in Italy. And absent quarantines in this country, which I know are very problematic, where people stay at home, hopefully voluntarily, this will happen in the United States of America.
2: All right. Now, Tom, uh, Ohio officials were just asked this question about what do we think the real numbers are in America now? Because we've had a, a meltdown in the testing. Uh, we didn't get testing out fast enough and we had to recall testing. I mean, that's been a fiasco. But people are saying, well, how many people really have this now if it's doubling or you know exponentially increasing? How many people have it? Well, they asked the Ohio officials that very question, and they literally said in Ohio they believe they have 100,000 people already infected.
3: And that's very possible. Um, we we who've been researching this have had to make a lot of guesses based on really poor government data. The CDC, before this is all done, will be responsible for a death toll in the United States greater than we've experienced in any war most likely. And and that's, I I hate to say, I am projecting a death toll that will go well into the seven figures, potentially in the eight figures in this country, if we do not immediately shut things down. If the Ohio estimate is correct, and you have a 100,000 people who are sick there, let's just say that that was the same amount in every state. Um, Some states are obviously much larger in population, like California, some are smaller. We'll go ahead and estimate that would mean that countrywide, you would expect we have somewhere in the neighborhood of 5 million, if you estimate out, let's say 3 million people who have this, that would mean that within 8, 12 days, you would reach a point where 1 in 10 people in America was in, were infected with this. And if that is, in fact, the case, the medical system will be overrun. Um, let's hope that estimate is overzealous. Uh, um, frankly, we don't know, but they may have access to resources, which we as researchers do not have. And I think two tells will be uh, important to look at how quickly the government moves to put us into quarantine. And I would note that just yesterday, the U.S. military said they're shutting down for 60 days. That might be a very telling sign.
2: Tom Kaczynski with us, ladies and gentlemen. I'm telling you, this stuff is scary. It's riveting. But I submit that you should not panic in fear. Replace it with faith. Look towards this Sunday as a national day of prayer. You want to learn more about Tom's work? Coronaviruscentral.net. Liberty Roundtable Live.
1: Protecting your liberties. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA Radio News with Wendy King.
5: The House passed a coronavirus aid package, sending it on to the Senate, just hours after President Trump declared the pandemic a national emergency. It was back in May of 2018 that the White House abandoned the pandemic office. Officials who work there say the U.S. has lost valuable time in dealing with the outbreak. The President was asked about it during a press briefing
2: when you say me i didn 't do it. Uh, we have a group of people i could I could ask perhaps in my administration, but I could perhaps ask Tony about that because uh, i don 't know anything about it.
5: White House physician Dr. Sean Connolly said the president didn't require virus testing after being in contact last weekend with two people who later tested positive for the virus. The Mayor of Miami. Francis Suarez confirmed that he tested positive for COVID-19. I immediately uh, self-quarantined. This is USA Radio News.
0: Maybe you can relate to this. A lot of people think they're stuck with their health plan. It costs too much or for whatever reason, they just don't like it. But great news, you are not stuck with it. There is a choice. It's called MediShare, and you could save so much. The typical savings for a family is 500 bucks a month. Major difference maker. This is the affordable alternative to health insurance. And just to give you a little more info about MediShare, it's a Christian health care sharing ministry. It's worked beautifully for 26 years, has more than 400,000 members, and they've shared over $3 billion of each other's medical bills. So, yes, they can help share your needs too. So you're not stuck. There's an excellent alternative. Whether you're single or married, you got a family, MediShare is super flexible. You can choose an option that works for you and start saving lots of money. You can join anytime. They're great to talk to. No pressure. Call 833-34-BIBLE. That's 833-34-BIBLE. 833-34-BIBLE.
5: The coronavirus pandemic has altered life for most people in many ways. Louisiana has postponed its primary until the end of June. In Ohio, they're restricting public gatherings to only 100 people. In Maryland, Oregon, and California, they're only allowing 250 Four major cruise ship companies have chosen to suspend trips from the U.S. for 30 days. President Trump tweeted that Carnival, Royal Caribbean, Norwegian, and Embassy cruises all agreed to those suspensions. The U.S. ban on travelers from 26 European countries has now taken effect. Canadian Parliament has rushed through ratification of the new U.S.-Mexico-Canada trade deal on Friday. The action, taken before their three-week break, is to help stop the spread of the virus. And Mexico is considering tightening its northern border to also help stop the spread of the virus. You're listening to USA Radio News.
2: All right, Tom Kaczynski with us, ladies and gentlemen. We're talking about this coronavirus. The numbers are a staggering Declaring a national emergency and a national day of prayers. The president, good for him, on both necessary counts. President Trump calling all Americans to lift their voices to God. We are joining the president on calling all Americans to, uh, you know, understand this is serious, serious business. The governor of Michigan, 100K have coronavirus in Michigan. I pray those numbers uh, aren't real, but they m- may very well be uh, real And if so, uh, we're going to see an overwhelming of our systems. As you were saying, Tom, what, 3 million may have it right now? It would be the um, very conservative estimate at this point?
3: It, if, if the Ohio number is accurate and if it reflects the spread in rates, that would be a reasonable estimate. Now, I will say that estimate by Ohio is a lot higher than other virologists are making – I personally think that we have somewhere between 100,000 to 500,000 cases in the U.S. that are unidentified. Uh, But, you know, the problem with this is it's a very sensitive model. You have to figure out the number of people who are transmitting. And the reality is without accurate testing out there, every one of us are forced to make guesses where there is an incredibly wide range about what's happening What is not in doubt is that every day we delay, that number is advancing at an incredibly rapid rate.
2: All right. Now, let's talk about this, uh, because I I believe that many have already had coronavirus, and many are already over it. Uh, I got sick in late December, early January. And I'm telling you, it hit my lungs so hard, I thought I was going to have to go to the hospital. And it seemed like I had kind of cold symptoms. I had a fever. I couldn't breathe. It uh, went to every member of my family. Some people got hit way harder than others. Now, I don't want to say I had the coronavirus because I wasn't tested, and I don't know. However, you know what? I very well could have already had it. Uh, and, and the problem is some would say, well, Sam, that's way too early. Come on. That can't be. You know what? I don't know when this really started. And th- that's why this origin question is so critical, uh, because I, I don't want to say I had it. But from all the descriptions that I hear, it's very likely. I mean, I would cough so hard, it felt like I was going to cough up blood. Sure. Okay, And sure. others would just be like, oh, Sam, you just had a respiratory virus. You certainly didn't have the corona. You're crazy. I don't know about that, sir. Now, I'm not saying I had it, and I'm not saying I didn't. I'm saying the possibility is way more there than people are admitting.
3: I would tend to agree that the possibility is far higher than people think for two reasons. Number, now, one, the, Let
2: me make that clear. That's not meaning I'm saying that I had it. I don't know that. Let's just, on the radio, be clear.
3: Nobody can know that. But let me let me try to put some evidence behind your case that would be potentially, we don't know and you're not going to know because we weren't tested. And there's a theory out there that goes out there that they didn't test because they didn't want people to know. But the best virology on this, a lot of it's come out of the University of Washington. And they've talked about there being an F strain and an L strain, just like there are different versions of the flu, influenza A, influenza B. And that what happened is there. it appears that the S strain was an earlier, less severe strain that spread. And then there was an L strain that came out later that we may be, and in fact are experiencing now in Italy, that was more severe. So first thing is you could have it and you could have it more than once because if you have the S strain, we don't know if that conveys an immunity for the L strain later. That's the first part of it. The second part of it, as we talked about, is there is an immunosuppressive function that goes along with the coronavirus. So in theory, you could have had this S strain and you could have had the flu at the same time. I would note that America experienced an extremely heavy flu season that we were hearing all these people were dying from the flu and the government kept saying, it's the flu, it's the flu. Maybe the reality is, and there's evidence that this has happened in at least some cases, that people have the flu and a coronavirus strain at the same time. And the very reason the flu proved so deadly for some people was because they had a coronavirus strain. So that doesn't answer your question, but it does at least present the viable possibility that you, as well as many other Americans, may have already experienced this or at least some element of this. Now, whether that conveys any immunity against potential reinfection or against other strains is an open question. But we have seen cases where people, in fact, carry both strains. So it is possible that this may be something that you not only get once, but may have multiple times seasonally reinfective. And just in the same way that the Spanish flu was more powerful than, say, influenza A, we may be dealing with mutated or recombinant variations of the coronavirus. And that potentially could explain why the government was taken so flat-footed in their response.
2: Well, and let me explain something else. I have had nothing but an immune system crisis ever since. I've had all kinds of other problems. It's a long story. I won't go into it, but I'm just telling you that I've had uh, recovered from the lung part of it to some degree. uh, But believe it or not, the doctors have put me on oxygen three times a day. And when I sleep, if I want it as a result of this, uh, and I'm saying to you that I think what happens, it, it has um, life-lasting reality effects on your lungs if you get it. Is that true?
3: It's possible. There is a mechanism called antibody-dependent enhancement. Uh, some people who know virology might know it from dengue fever, and there's been studies out there that suggest that coronavirus may utilize this. And In shorter terms, what happens is the virus itself attacks the antibodies, and because it's able to do that, it is able to have suppressive attributes if it stays in your system. And secondly, if it gets in there, what ends up happening is your body naturally creates antibodies to fight off the sickness. But the problem is the virus can attach to those antibodies. And in fact, the antibodies themselves become a means by which the virus can spread more rapidly because all a virus does is it hijacks existing cells and makes them into copying machines for itself. So it is absolutely possible what you're, what you're saying is something that's being experienced. And there's actually a lot of science, which is something we cover, you know, daily, uh, Monday through Saturday in Coronavirus Central, about how that mechanism is happening. And it's one of the reasons why there is not just a risk from infection for those who have not gotten sick yet, but for the people who've gotten sick, maybe a reinfection could potentially be far worse than the original time. And with a vaccine, if at all possible, being 12 to 18 months away. And I would tell people we've never had a vaccine for this sort of virus and that it mutates. The idea we're dealing with something that is far greater than is commonly understood is something people need to seriously consider.
2: All right. Now, I want to make sure that I was clear enough about this. Ohio officials are the ones that are estimating that uh, there might be 100,000 people with a coronavirus. That just gives you an idea how fast this spreads. It's the governor of Michigan. Gretchen Whitmer that dodged a question on whether she would rule out martial law as a response to this pandemic. So I want to make that clear because I think I might have misstated a little bit of it, and, and the two headlines got mixed up a little bit. So Ohio's the one that's saying they have a hundred thousand possible. Uh, then this Whitman lady, basically of Michigan, is saying, "Hey, you know what? Um, she's not going to answer the question on." whether they're going to declare martial law over this. Now, I want to bring up this martial law, because if you have the president declaring a national emergency, virtually every state declaring some kind of an emergency, uh, voluntarily stay home for now, but all the big businesses are going to close, which is, you know, most of America, the little man, the little business is a side uh, discussion at this point almost with how, you know, Walmart's everywhere, I could go on. But um, it's almost like they've created a a faux martial law right now, even. I'm not suggesting it's not necessary. I am suggesting... You know, we're going to debate this while we're half in it. Kind of an interesting reality check, isn't it?
3: It is. You know what I tell people? The way I look at it is we are in war. If little green men came down in ships shooting bullets at us, all of us would organize to stop them. The fact that these little green men are that much smaller means that we need to be even more proactive. We are basically having an interspecies war where they are trying to occupy and kill us. And we need to respond to that level of vigor. You know, each side has been going out trying to figure out how they can win this or get past this. And you, we simply cannot look past this virus. It is too new. It is too weird. It is too poorly understood. You asked at the beginning of this about the origin question, and there's a lot of evidence that this may not be of natural manufacture. I mean, that this may have been bioengineered, and whatever the intent and whoever was behind it, if it was an accident, an act of war, asymmetrical warfare, we could talk for four hours about that.
2: Yeah, and and part of the reason that I highlight, we don't know where it comes from, but I don't get into the details and ask a lot of questions about that. It's not that I'm afraid of that discussion. It's that it's way too long, and we don't have answers at the end of it. What we have is very educated opinions, but we don't have Mm -hmm. factual evidence and answers per se, and what it will do is derail us from what we need to be focused on right now at least.
3: Right. I agree with that entirely. But the point I wanted to pull out of this is we cannot make the assumption this will behave in any way like viruses we've seen before, because if it is bioengineered, and I think it's at least a plausible possibility that it may do things we have never seen before for reasons we cannot expect. That's why I always tell my listeners on my podcast, prepare for having to be in place for 60 to 90 days. And that you are going to need to self-quarantine because, like you're reporting potentially as a victim that may have recovered without knowing it, there are these long-term impacts that we simply do not and cannot know this early in this uh, developing situation.
2: All right, this is serious, folks, and I don't mean to minimize it. I don't mean to laugh at it. And we got to walk a fine line between when are we um, truly educating people and having people take this serious enough. Because we got to do that, but at the same time, not inciting panic. And that's a very difficult line to walk. And I bring that up, Tom, because as you have Corona podca- or coronaviruscentral.net, and you do a podcast on uh, this several times a week, it's a fine line to walk. We'll get into that. We'll talk about your incredible book because it provides answers, I think, to those critical questions. Tom's book, available on Amazon, Surviving Coronavirus on Any Budget. This is serious. Let's talk about the reality check and what we can do on your radio.
4: You've heard the name Lavoie Finnecombe. Now, hear Lavoy Finnicum in his own words. Honor the Republic. Uphold this constitution. Let us quit talking. Please take peaceful action. That is why I'm here. Liberty Hall Lectures presents Dead Man Talking, screening and fundraiser. Come together with us to view the newly completed DVD series Lavoie, Dead Man Talking, Episode 2, Friday, February 28th, at 6 p.m. at Liberty Hall in Far West Utah. Come meet Lavoy Finnicum's widow Jeanette. Learn about her mission to about justice for the wrongful murder of her husband. That's Friday, February 28th, 6 p.m. at Liberty Hall, 3677 North Highway 126 in Far West Utah. There's no need to RSVP. Admission is free, and your generous donations are appreciated. Join us Friday, February 28th at 6 p.m. at Liberty Hall. This event is sponsored by One Cowboy Stand for Freedom, the Center for Self-Governance, and the Loving Liberty Radio Network.
2: All right. Tom Kaczynski with me, ladies and gentlemen. We're talking about his incredible podcast on the coronavirus that comes out several times a week. CoronavirusCentral.net. It's on Twitter, CoronavirusCast, at CoronavirusCast. It's on Facebook, Coronavirus Central, as well as the website CoronavirusCentral.net. Let's talk a little bit about what we can do. We're running out of time. I needed you for two hours, Tom. I apologize. But let's talk about what we can do. This this thing is serious, folks. Uh, but how do we walk a fine line and take real action that matters, Tom? Because you know what? At the end of the day, the conspiracy theories aside, the origins aside, the government's aside, at the end of the day, it's you and your family, ain't it?
3: Absolutely, it is. And, and that's what, you know, the emphasis that we do on our show is how to keep yourself safe. You know, you were before you hit the break, you were talking about the question of panic and what we do to prevent that. People panic when expectations don't meet reality. What our show does, what our open source intelligence network does, is we look past the rhetoric of the different political figures in the World Health Organization, which are basically politicians with stethoscopes. We look at the evidence of the lab reports, we look what's happening on the ground, we look what governments are doing, and our audience has not been caught flat footed by this um, as much as any of us could be. We know this is serious. We know this is a big problem. I would submit to your listeners to defeat this, it's going to take a Manhattan Project-level effort where we are going to have to recognize that to stop the spread of this disease, we basically have to stop most economic activity. The longer we wait, the harder that's going to be to do. What can we do between that? Be prepared to stay in place 60 to 90 days, potentially. It's going to start at 30 days. If a quarantine fails, if people don't have food, if they go out and try to break this, the virus will continue to spread. We don't know how bad it is, and it doesn't sound that bad that it's only 10 percent of people. But on the other hand, that can break your medical system. It's already broken the supply chain. Key medicines for things well beyond coronavirus are not coming in because of what you reported, the issues with China. And I'm guessing of all the countries that China will help, the United States will not be at the front of this. We have had the poor decision through globalization to offshore a lot of our key national security stockpiles, including antibiotics and other medicines. Our government needs to be acting right now to immediately increase domestic capacity of masks, of ventilators, of medical supplies, and to protect all of our frontline medical staff. Because in China, they cured this by sending doctors all around the country to Wuhan. But when this breaks out in Seattle, San Francisco, Los Angeles, New York, Boston, all of these cities at once, we won't have that option. The medicine may be overrun. Goods won't be moving. People won't have food. There's a lot of dangers out there. The government needs to get in front of this instead of saying we're going to test. We have been reacting to a problem instead of anticipating solutions. For you as a listener to this show, you need to be in front of that. I expect your audience is very well prepared. You're going into it with faith you're going into it with your family go into it with the supplies that you need to know you will be safe in any situation assume the worst and let's hope that these predictions don't end up being as bad as some of us fear
2: all right tom there's a term they're using for this now called social distancing and the idea is hey if you stay six feet away from each other at least it's not going to be near as bad that's why they're really trying to they know that they can't really prevent people from getting the virus OK, they won't tell you that, but they know that what they're really trying to do is slow down how fast how many people get it and let it kind of roll through society at manageable levels as opposed to a massive breakout. And so they're saying, hey, if you self-quarantine, if you stay home, if you avoid massive crowds of people, if you do this thing called social distancing, then it will slow and minimize, you know, the, the ramp up of this thing, if you will. The peak will turn into more of a uh not a spike peak, but more of a wave, and and, and so they think social distancing is going to help. I think it's a good point, but it isn't enough.
3: I couldn't agree more. The problem is that, as you reported, this is aerosolized, and to be very clear what we mean by that, we now have research. It's a study from Princeton University and UCLA, which basically says that This virus can survive aerosolized in one position for three hours. So say someone sneezes on food at a buffet, you know, that's going to sit there or in in the entry to a hall and how many people get sick. There was a case out of Boston. There was one conference. It's called the Biogen Conference at the Marriott Hotel. They had a cluster of like 90 cases pop out of this thing all across the eastern seaboard from one event. So. You can try to flatten the curve, and you definitely want to do that epidemiologically because you don't want to have this rapid spread. Nonetheless, if people are going out, if they don't have masks, if they don't have eye protection, you can be infected through your nose. You can be infected through your tear ducts. In fact, a number of the doctors who died early in China died from that. The CDC has advised the exact opposite in an unconscionable act of stupidity uh, based either on poor information or the reality The United States has about 1% of the amount of masks it needs, and it has been gathering them to protect itself, certain key individuals, and medical workers. Obviously, we want to protect our healthcare workers there on the front line. Nonetheless, the estimates out there are that we would need around 1.3 billion masks, and I think we have about 35 million in total. And you would see those at current usage rates expended nationwide if this gets bad in about two and a half days. It's a big problem.
2: All right, so I think the social distancing matters. I agree that, hey, anything you can do to minimize, um, one thing might not be enough, but one thing, two things, three things, four things, five things together make a huge difference. So if you can self-quarantine, great. If you can't and you have to go out and get food, though, don't have five people go to the grocery store. Have one go and get your stuff and get get it in there, get out and get home. Do the social distancing. You know what? Pray to God. Um Make sure that you take care of your family and eat well. And what I mean is all these things together can make the difference. Get enough sleep. Get enough good food. Stay home. Avoid the crowds. Do the social distancing. Uh,
3: Vitamin C, uh, vitamin D, zinc. All right, now let's talk about vitamin C and
2: vitamin D. That's what the Chinese are promoting, but I haven't heard anybody in America, at least at the government level and or the healthcare level, hardly talk about that at all, sir.
3: Why? Government has not been telling people how to prepare for this. They've been telling them it isn't a big deal because they, in my opinion, top to bottom, have seen this as a smaller crisis than it is and they have valued more the economic potential of this. And it's not a partisan statement. They just do not understand the uh, the nature of this. But I will say, in terms of treatment, this might be the most important thing if you get sick. If you get sick and you are in a high-risk population, uh, South Koreans, India, all these countries are treating with a drug called chloroquine. It comes from quinine, an anti-malarial drug. It Basically, if your cell is a lock, and COVID is the key, it allows you to rig and jimmy the lock so that you don't get it as bad. It won't save you, but it might buy you time for medical interventions. So chloroquine and zinc, which changes the pH around the cell body. That's what they're doing. They're also working on drugs like remdesivir, trifonavir, these are anti-HIV, anti-Ebola drugs. What do they do? They basically create decoys that the virus attaches to them rather than to your cells, and that they're taken out like trash Um, But they don't want to share this information. And it's not just us as individuals. Doctors haven't had this information. My network has had literally 10 to 20 doctors around the U.S. asking us for how to treat this. The CDC's failure to have a common protocol to treat this is getting a lot of people sick. And the reality also is hospitals are means by which the sickness spreads. So unless you have a severe, you don't want to go. But ideally, you would want to have early treatment It could mitigate the risk of this so you don't have the organ damage, the lung damage, difficulty breathing, damage to neurological and immunological symptoms. They're just not doing that because they have been behind this from moment one. And I would say that while I want the CDC to succeed, you are putting your life in their hands. If you listen to them overly much, get your own information. Listen to shows like this. Listen to Coronavirus Central. We're on iTunes, Spotify. Um, We we have 20,000 listeners. We're in the top ten. A podcast every day on this subject. And uh, we are just putting out the information as it's out there to keep you safe. And that's the best we can do right now, hoping that we start getting answers to this before uh, this becomes a real pandemic. But I will say, expect within the next 10 days, the government to institute a mandatory nationwide quarantine starting in most affected cities, and that it will come around the United States and around most of the developed world.
2: Also expect most people to end up with this virus at some point.
3: The best epidemiologists think between 40 to 70 percent of the world will get this at 70 to 80 percent. Something called herd immunity kicks in. Where it will be an endemic virus that most people will be inoculated, but, against. but
2: let me stop you there though I understand yeah. that point, but I disagree with it, and I'll tell you why this came out of SARS and somehow in a lab or somewhere this was genetically changed to where the next version uh, next year or whatever else will be genetically changed and changed, and I don't know that you'll ever have a herd immunity to somebody who is intelligently creating features uh, in these viruses and somebody somewhere who is literally saying, all right, that thing didn't transmit fast enough. All right, that thing didn't hit the whatever hard enough. And they're literally tweaking this thing on the fly year to year. The flu vaccine can't keep up for uh, that reason just in, in the wild. But this has a an intention behind it somewhere. And I don't bring that up because I want to pin the tail on the donkey of who, but I do want to bring up the reality. I don't think you'll ever have a herd immunity uh, because of the continued changes that are happening that prevent that from occurring.
3: I think that that's a completely fair consideration because when I say herd immunity, I should be very clear. I mean, for this particular strain. Okay, I'll it go there. That it, can be, it can be recombinant. In fact, there's research that suggests that this virus is genetically recombinant with five key haplotypes moving around, sort of like a lock doing it. Now, I don't know if the mechanism, it may just be the mechanism finds what works best for its environment. Remember, we're talking about molecular biology, so the extent to which you can program it is somewhat limited. Nonetheless, it is likely we will see recurrences of this. It will come around, and we will see strains in upcoming years. If a solution comes, I suspect, and this will scare a lot of your listeners as it scares me, is you're going to see something like DARPA come out. What they're researching is how to create synthetic antibodies. So literally that the internal of our bloodstream becomes a battle between competing nanotech. It's a scary future that we're going to walk into, and not knowing who's responsible for these decisions makes it even more frightful.
2: Well, and not knowing their intentions. Get to it. Not knowing their intentions is even a bigger question because we're assuming that we got the good guys on our side fighting this and they're fighting the bad guys. Uh, but I don't know who the good guys and the bad guys are at this point. I know that population control is a great consideration of many of these people. Bill Gates just quit Microsoft so that he can go focus on his philanthropy efforts. And he's right at the, the, the tip of the spear when it comes to population control and using vaccinations for that very purpose. He's blatantly said so in speeches. And, and I've got all the docs on that thing. I'm telling you, it's you out do of control.
3: 201. An event 201, which happened in October, which some of your listeners may be familiar with, was a tabletop exercise that speculated about a coronavirus outbreak sponsored by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. You know, there's a lot of smoke for there to be no fire there. I can't tell people what the intentions are. What I can tell people is how to survive this. And, you know, the, the best advice I can give to your listeners is if you haven't had it or don't think you've had it, do everything you can to make sure you don't get it. If you have to reorient your lives for a while, you're going to be asked to do it anyway. The sooner you do it, the less you put yourself at risk, and we will have to follow up with this and try to figure out who are the bad guys and the, bad, and the good guys when we come out of this on the other side. Right. now,
2: Tom, do you, have, do you have time to stay with me for the next hour? I do. All right. Stay with me. I want Tom Kaczynski to stay with me for the next hour. I'm going to add another guest to the mix. His name is Alan Phillips. He's a well-known speaker. He was an attorney until the bar had problems. Well, the bar hosed him down and forced him not to be an attorney. So now he's a public speaker and and an educator, but he is, by trade, an attorney. His name is Alan Phillips, and he's a nationally recognized expert and presenter on vaccine rights. He's got two websites. Uh, The government forced him to take them down. I don't know if they're back up or not yet. VaccineRights.com is one of them. PandemicResponseProject.com is the other. We're going to keep... Our buddy, Tom, we're going to add Alan to the roundtable, baby, and we're going to continue talking about this. I want to talk about the economic uh, ramifications. I want to talk about the uh, vaccinations. They say they're not going to come out for 12 to 18 months, but I don't think I want to take one of those even when they come out, folks. Um, coronaviruscentral.net is Tom's website. Coronaviruscentral.net. Coronavirus Central on Facebook. Cast on Twitter. His book, available on Amazon, Surviving Coronavirus, on any budget, it's on Amazon. Check all that out. Sam and Tom back in seconds. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you, this is getting hot and we got our eye on the ball. Don't panic. Replace fear with faith. Double down on the day of prayer on Sunday with the president, will you please? We're endorsing that. And we declare this nation shall endure.